We focus on the capital stack so you can get your deals done right. We are Bo Baker and Anne-Marie Garavaglia from the Capital Markets Group at Ackerman LLP. Ackerman is a top 100 U.S. law firm ranked in the AmLaw 100, recognized as a leading real estate firm by the commercial property executive, distinguished among the most forward-thinking firms in the industry by the Financial Times, and ranked among the top five large law firms for highest representation of women, as well as a top four large law firm for diversity by Law 360. Ackerman is focused on growing their real estate capital markets group, which currently consists of 25 attorneys throughout Florida, New York, Georgia, California, North Carolina, Colorado, Texas, and Illinois. Our team of experts will guide you through complex transactions to navigate change, seize opportunities, and help drive innovation and growth. In short, we will help you stack your capital stack to get your deals done right. Welcome to the Stacked Up Podcast. We're here with a special guest today, Mike Flood from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Mike's title is Senior Vice President of Commercial and Multifamily. And we're going to talk about the MBA, the recent conference of MBA, what's hot in the real estate finance markets, you know, l- learn a little bit more about Mike. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me and really looking forward to talking to you and talking to your audience. It should be a great conversation. I think so, Mike. We, uh, yeah, so you've been at the MBA now about a, a year, right? Didn't you, didn't you join MBA back kind of right, right around the beginning of um, the, the pandemic and, and, and everything going on with COVID? Oh, gosh, that's right. I, I did, Bo. Good memory. I, uh, I actually, before I started, I went to, to the CREF conference in San Diego as a guest uh, to, to kind of introduce myself and, and then took a couple weeks and started in March. Uh, so I guess true to the last name of Flood, here I am starting a pandemic, uh, starting in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> Uh, so, so I hope my boss doesn't hear this, but I, but I seem to have lived out my name. Yeah, I, I, I remember the timing because we were working with uh, you and some of your, your uh, other members at, at Crest or, or at MBA, and we were planning to have a welcome to MBA uh, party and, and cocktail hour in Atlanta uh, at our building, um, Ackerman Building in Atlanta. So I remember the timing, and then we had to cancel all of that because of the, you know, the rollout of COVID and, and social distancing. Well, so. we, we kept moving it back. We kept hoping we could have that. <laughs> well, oh, my gosh. We felt the same way, and probably like everyone else, we started with, ah, this will be three weeks. Well, maybe it will be a couple months, and then I think it became right. uh, it became our life. But to your point, uh, boy, you're, you're spot on. My, my goal when I got here um, was to, in essence, do a listening session and travel for the first six months, listen to our members and say, okay, you know, we got a change in leadership here. What do you like? What don't you like? And how can we make this work for you? And in three weeks, that probably like everyone in the industry, my plans went right out the window and we had to adjust. Uh, and, and the focus became more um, 
is in, um, hey, we see people need stimulus. How, you know, what, what do you as an industry need? So it certainly went from let's learn what's necessary to I think the bare essentials of, okay, we are in a crisis. What can DC do to help us? Um, so drastic change, and I'm sure all our, all our members and you all went through it as well. Yeah, way to get thrown into the fire. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think adjustment is the key word here. So it, was, it has been quite, quite a turnaround and quite an adjustment. Um, oh. and, and so, you know, it was interesting that you said you, you focused on D.C. Um, so, you know, what other things, um, Mike, have you done um, since joining the MBA to just, you know, completely adjust to a new way of, of getting to know each other, getting to know your members? Um, you know, what are you doing in terms of, um, you know, planning for 2021 and beyond, and, you know, in terms of conferences? So I know those things take some time, yeah. um, you know, to get organized. You know, great, great questions. Um, let's start with kind of the, with, with, your, with the end, which was conferences, since we just wrapped up ours last week. And you're right. For the first three months, we kept hoping, praying, um, that our conferences would, would be in person. And then I think like everybody else came to the realization that they would be virtual. And then we tried to figure out, okay, well, what is, what is an MBA craft conference? Well, people go to San Diego in order to create deals. Uh, and so how do we do that in a virtual environment? And so when we transition to the virtual environment, we tried to do three things to, to make it work. One, we created a lender's lounge, as we called it, and this is all in a virtual environment where a lender could put together a pitch proposal and on a click-through you could get to a virtual, you could sign up for a virtual meeting. So we tried to create the environment where if you're at our conference, if you're at one of our, one of our uh, fellow association conferences, most of you all are in, in meeting rooms for half the time, and we wanted to keep right. that up. Um, two, we had a really cool feature called an instant chat. Um, and if you wanted to chat with literally anybody in the conference that was available, you could press one button, click through, and it was as if you were on FaceTime. Um, so there were instant meetings. And then three, recognizing we had an opportunity. Um, if people aren't spending money to get on a plane, hopefully that means they can send more young professionals. Um, and so what we did is we created bulk pricing. Uh, in order to allow people to say, okay, in a tough year, this is what we can afford, and in turn, we were able to say, okay, that is your price point. Here, here's a way that you can send more people. Um, so, so on the conference front, I think we learned a few things. A, we beefed up our content, and I think that helped a lot with, with allowing young professionals to come in and learn. Two, we combined conferences. We combined our servicing and originations conference and we learned a lot there. Um, it sounds obvious, but the feedback we got was, from servicers was, wow, now that I've heard what originators go through, I, I understand some of these things that come my way, and vice versa, originators saying, wow, now that I hear what servicers have to go through, I understand some of the complaints when we send a specific loan structure their way. Um, so it was very, it was very eye-opening in that sense. And I think we learned um, that it's highly likely that there will be hybrid structures going forward. You know, A, people, do they want to be in person? 
is the commercial business still a relationship business? Absolutely. And, and I, I, I tend to use this phrase, you know, we like to shake hands and we like paper. And if we could still be on Commodore 64s, we probably would be. Um, and, and, I know I would. And, exactly. And we like to, and, and in order to make such a big investment, we like to see, feel, and touch it. And we like to shake hands with the person who we're doing a deal with. But at the same time, um, we've all realized that maybe we don't need as much travel. Maybe if I can allow my young people, if they can't go to a conference, if they can still grab the content and find ways to connect at the younger level, then we're helping them build that network going forward. So long-winded answer to your question, I think you'll see a lot more hybrid conferences where you can attend in person, but the material is either available on, you know, during the conference um, for, for people who couldn't make it or on demand after the conference so that it's usable going forward. And, and I think that's where we're all going to have to head to adjust to whatever the new normal is. Um, and maybe a second answer to your question is, and, 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 and as a follow-up that maybe we talk about is, you're right. It went from, wow, how can we help our industry create new opportunities to lend to, Entrenchment. How can we help our lenders deal with tenants who, for government-mandated reasons, um, you know, shut in orders that are here to protect our health, that can't pay their mortgage? How can we help our lenders um, um, get through that process? And that became very focused on D.C. So we went from how do we expand lending to how do we – it's, it's probably the wrong term to use, but how do we protect the industry so it can survive until right. we get out of it? But, but that's the reality, right? I mean, we are right. – the industry because we, we, you know, there's so many factors that have been impacted, and where do you start? You know, and 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 to that point, um, you know, a couple things, and I think this led still leads into your first question that surprised us um, out of the pandemic, and, and we can get into surprises from the conference in a bit. But what surprised us out of the pandemic was how well multifamily held up. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of us believe that was due to some of the stimulus that um, we and others were able to help secure. Um, I, I think in the first stimulus package in March, we were disappointed not to see rental assistance, but we did see unemployment insurance of 600 a week or above. And when you look at the NMHC's rent numbers, boy, rents really hung in there. Um, then in December, we saw rental assistance uh, in, the, in, the, in the current stimulus package that passed, plus, while not the same, 300 a week in unemployment insurance. It's going to be very interesting to see if that keeps rents up. And now we see that continuing on again with the Biden administration, who's looking to make sure people can stay in their homes through September, which I think they hope is the date where we're all back out and about. Um, so I think we were surprised by that. I don't think anybody was surprised that retail and hotel has struggled. You know, if you can't go outside, it's, it's certainly hard to, to fill those spots. And I think right. another surprise, um, slight surprise, was how well Warehouse was doing. I didn't quite, didn't quite equate it to last mile, but boy, has that been a shining asset class. E-commerce? E-commerce? Yes. Warehouse industrial? Yes. yes, very much so. That's, that's, that's a booming asset class for, for sure. Yeah, certainly. And only probably going to continue to accelerate, you know, as as malls decelerate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you can you tell me this, Bo, but I I think this has been a big inflection point for the industry on retail. Is 
Um, I think we all saw the slow move towards e-commerce. I think we all agree this has basically sped up the timeline by a decade. So trying to figure out, for lack of a better word, which malls are in a position to be successful or be rehabbed to be, successful, to be successful versus which ones may succumb to online retail is, is really a tough, tough decision to make. Well, I know for one, I mean, they just foreclosed on one up in Atlanta, one of the bigger ones. So, um, you know, nobody really knows what uh, what the plan is to repurpose that property. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a concern for the community and the industry. And, you know, to Anne-Marie, to that point, the, the big, I think the, the, the aha moment for me coming out of our conference, and we were really happy to have that with the young professionals. Um, that's last week's what, conference? We're that's talking about right. Last week's conference, Mike? Yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, we all want to be in San Diego next year. <laughs> yep. Would have been held in would have been held in San Diego, but instead you had it via a, a, a virtual platform. That's right. And we and we tried to, and we also leaned it a little bit, uh, knowing that we all can only sit at our desks from for, for so long. Uh, instead of it being you know of of three different tracks, so people could pick and choose as to what they wanted to experience. Um, but the big aha moment to me that came out of it was, A, and I'm sure you, you all realize this better than I did, was that on offense, I think, on office properties, I think we all believe there's going to be a day of reckoning. But it's a little bit of a delayed uh, reckoning because, as I understand it, many people still have leases for the next few years. Um, so we may not see the fallout of whether office is moving suburban or if office, if people are going to shrink their footprints for another couple of years. Um, so that's going to be an interesting, I think that's going to be an interesting fallout for all of us. Great. Our, our firm is in that exact boat. You know, we've got multiple leases that we negotiated over the past decade, and a couple of them came, you know, term, came to term the past year or two. Um, but a lot of them are, you know, five, five to ten years out before we have any option to, um, you know, terminate or, or vacate the space. So um, I agree with you there. There's there's definitely going to be a delay in the impacts we're going to see on, on office as an asset class. What sense well, it, do you have, Mike, on, on, you know, which direction that's going to head when these leases burn off? Emery, great question. We just, you know, not only did we roll off our conference, but we just rolled off our, yesterday, our commercial board of governors meeting. Um, and to give you a couple of generalizations from there, you know, the lenders on our board were very interested in research on mobility. And so I think it's yet to be determined, but a lot of folks in the industry that I think are very smart are looking at studies from C.B. Richard Ellis, quite frankly, from the Cleveland Federal Reserve, and from other research groups on mobility to see where people are moving. You know, is, is it truly a move, a generic, we'll call it a generic move from city to suburbs, or is it more of a macro move away from New York to Tennessee, away from California to Texas? So we're spending a lot of time looking at mobility um, and looking at where, where, where the population is moving to, and I think that is starting to tell us a lot about office, but also about the surrounding communities around it, like uh, the apartment buildings and hotels and retail that would follow it. Um, so uh, while office is the key, boy, those mobility studies are like gold right now. 
I can imagine. I mean, I know for one, real estate, you know, down in Florida, which is where my family is, you know, I mean, things just don't even stay on the market for more than a few hours. And most of the folks that are purchasing, you know, residential real estate are, they're down uh, coming from, from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, you know, in those general areas. And, um, and then the, a lot of the businesses are moving down here to Florida. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how all of that, that works out and, you know, what everybody's doing to, to you know, plan for it. Boy, I, I couldn't agree more. And when you see, to your point, when you see big names like Goldman saying they're going to move, you know, some, some big portions of their business down to Florida, it, 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 when you see blue chip companies mention that, I know it makes other companies think that way too. Um, so what so what other conferences do you have coming up, Mike? Um, so one really cool thing we are working on that I'm excited about is um, during our commercial board of governors meeting, we had uh, uh, Antoine Thompson, the executive director of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, on. And the National Association of Real Estate Brokers traditionally represents black um, uh, uh, brokers. And so what we're trying to do is figure out how we can combine our efforts to increase diversity and inclusion and equity in the in the commercial real estate environment, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm sure it's no surprise that when you look at commercial real estate, I hate to say it, most of it looks like me, um, and the population does not, and, and so there's been a concentrated effort. So one thing we're trying to do is bring together our lenders with NAREB's brokers and see if we can create uh, better lines of information sharing, better opportunities to bring capital to, to historic black neighborhoods, and hopefully uh, bring more African-American uh, uh, brokers into the business and give them as, as good an opportunity as anyone else. Um, so I'm excited to see where that goes. You know, on, on top of that, to your point, boy, we've, we've, really, gone, uh, we've really gone virtual for, and, and likely for the rest of the year. Um, usually in the fall, we host a, um, a, a non-bank lending conference. Uh, we all know that the business has been headed has been, there's been increased business in the non-bank lending space for some time. And so um, we are putting together a conference focused on non-bank lenders, not necessarily in the, in the structured finance space, but more in the portfolio lending space. Uh, we want to make mm-hmm. sure they have a home in order to speak about what they offer and, and make sure they're making connections with our brokers as well. I think that sounds great. We look forward to, uh, to those events that are coming up. Um, what were the dates on, on some of those again? Honestly, I think they're TBD right now as we figure out okay. what the new normal looks like. Uh, but let me get you, I promise to get you the dates and get back to you on that. Okay, <laughs> okay no worries. <laughs> um, i switching gears just, just a little bit um, because obviously this is, this is something that uh, you can probably spend a lot of time on um, and it's the hot topic um, in, in terms of you know, the change in the administration, um, you know, what are you seeing, uh, what are you involved in in terms of legislation, what's hot, you know, what is, what is MBA, you know, how are you involved in the discussions, um, and what are your hot topics? A lot of people give, when, when you see MBA, um, it has mortgage bankers in the title, so it automatically makes you think of housing, and we certainly have a, a big focus on the multifamily industry for sure. And a significant amount of our members are GSE, um, DUS, 
uh, Optigo, and FHA lenders. However, you know, we have 350 different uh, lender companies, so we represent all asset classes. And I would say the other two significant portions of our membership um, are life insurance portfolio lenders and bank portfolio lenders. And, you know, in the life insurance space, I think we have roughly 75 life insurance companies, uh, and I believe the top 25 banks when it comes to portfolio lending. So when I think of our membership and in, in, in the context of the advocacy discussion, that's the core of, of MBA membership. But to your point, um, let's talk politics for a little bit. Biden administration comes in. Um, we have a very slim majority for Democrats in the Senate and a very slim majority for Democrats in the House. So one party controls the entire government. However, they, they can only lose a few votes. Um, so let's talk about the approach they're taking. When Biden came in, he basically put, he, he said that he's going to focus all of his efforts in four areas. First, not surprising, is COVID. Second is climate, second is climate change. Um, third is affordable housing. And fourth is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And everything he does will be, will be thought about in those four pillars. And proof in the pudding here is when you look at the people who are being put in place to run the regulators, uh, Janet Yellen, likely Gary Gensler at the SEC, when you look at the staff underneath them that are being put into place, nearly every agency has put in a climate change advisor. Think Kevin Stiro over at the Federal Reserve. Um, so let's now talk about what's immediately on the plate, stimulus. The Biden administration wants to pass stimulus by March 14th. That's when unemployment benefits run out. So specific to commercial, let's talk the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good. Right now, the bill has $1,400 in direct checks in it. It has $400 a week in unemployment insurance that would run through September. Uh, and it has... Um, um, it has $25 billion in rental assistance. So when I think multifamily and what has made multifamily hold up, um, those three things ought to help, help, help us see, see the day if it is passed. The negative in that area, at least for lenders, is it will likely also include an ex extension of the eviction moratorium through September. Now, as you can imagine, we, yeah, we certainly do not love... Right. We, we do not love the thought of an eviction moratorium. Everybody, nobody wants to kick somebody out of their apartment, especially at a time like yeah. this. But, you know, an unfunded mandate like an eviction moratorium just delays the inevitable. But if there is unemployment insurance, if there are direct checks, and if there is rental assistance, that is likely, um, and as, as the past has proven, um, likely enough to survive for, for lenders and, and uh, building owners to survive the day. The question then becomes, how fast can we get that assistance in people's hands? Um, right. the, the, the uncertainty, there are two uncertainties for, for our audience. Right now, there is, there is no uh, forbearance for multifamily in the bill, um, but we are on guard about it. And I think the theory is if we give renters the money they need to stay in their apartment and food in their belly, and forbearance is unnecessary. Uh, and two, you know, we're a little disappointed that there, there hasn't been a good way to find, to, to support our retail and hospitality tenants. Um, we're still working to figure that out, but, um, you know, it's, it, the airline industry has been funded. 
and it seems a little odd to fund the way you get to the destination, but not fund the destination itself. Agreed. Um, so those are those. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly of the stimulus. And Anne-Marie you know, certainly would love to hear your comments. You know, um, I think um, in prior conversations with some of the senators um, that I was speaking with um, a couple of months ago, actually, I was on a on a team that was lobbying um, for additional <laughs> stimulus, and um, you know they were not very interested at that time in talking about the need to have additional stimulus, basically eliminate the concern and everything would get back to normal. Um, you know, I think right now we're a little bit premature in knowing, um, you know, how effective that vaccine is going to be. And so, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that everybody's still pushing for some stimulus because I think we're going to need it for a while. Um, you know, there's you know, the impact, uh, you know, that this industry has had is, you know, it's, it's been pretty, pretty um, harsh. And so it's, it's going to take time to recover, even if the vaccine, in my opinion, you know, kicks in and, and is, is doing the job that we had hoped it would do. So, you know, I, for one, you know, you know, I'm in an age and in, in, in at least good health where I haven't been too concerned. But I just think, you know, when you transfer how individual people that we know in our own circles are, you know, handling this, um, you know, the the impact on, you know, businesses, workplace environments and all of that is is just going to be delayed, you know, in, in terms of having the positive effects of the vaccine. So we've yeah. got to have something. And, Emory, I think to your point, um, you know, take away anyone's individual politics. This is one of those yep. times where, where having one party in power uh, helps because, um while we may not agree with everything in the bill, you know, the, the party in power has the potential to push it through without being bipartisan. Um, some may disagree that that you know, would it be would it be best to have something that's bipartisan? Absolutely. Uh, but but it, the messaging now is: can we create enough stimulus to build a bridge until everyone has a shot in the arm? And I think that's a right. reasonable approach. And so I agree. The, the way people are, the way the Democrats are looking at stimulus right now is, can we supply enough to get us through September? And that's kind of the current going thinking right now. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see if they can pull it off with reconciliation, um, and, and we'll see if they can make their deadline in mid-March. But our goal is, is to make sure that all of the things I mentioned before find their way in um, or, or stay in the bill and we'll do our best on the, on the eviction moratorium. But I think what we can do there is make sure that whatever benefits are given match up with the timing of any eviction moratorium. You know, one, one other thought I had, if it would make sense for you all, is, is to run through kind of what I think the top three issues are by type of CRE finance that we may see over the next year. So you know, taking taking a step away from Biden administration plans and, and now looking past, you know, the, the first 100 days into what Mr. Biden wants to accomplish, you know, stimulus costs money. So he's certainly going to be looking for pay force. Um, so one other theme that we expect to happen not long after stimulus is for Mr. Biden to look at the tax code. And he's certainly going to be looking to make it more equitable, which, which generically suggests a little more progressive on the individual income side. But let's, let's talk corporate for a minute because that's really what's going to affect our business. Um, so to set the table in that way, 
you know, no surprise, but 1031 exchanges, Mr. Biden mentioned, is something he wants to modify during his campaign. But let's also realize that campaign politics are different than regular politics. Uh, two, business interest deduction. Three, financial transaction tax. Four, carried interest. Um, uh, I would also not be surprised if they take a look at the potential on the positive side of increasing LIHTC. Uh, and, and quite frankly, they're even thinking about a renter uh, tax credit in order to help those that can't afford rent to find their way into a decent apartment. So there's, a, there's some negatives that we're going to have to think about, uh, and there are some positives that we're also going to have to think about as to whether they benefit the business. But then, you know, what I like to do is break it down is by, by type of finance. Um, if you're a LifeCo, a life insurance company portfolio lender, I think on the, on the positive side, um, there, we are working with ACLI uh, on, on reducing um, the amount of capital that would be needed to be held against equity investments. And, and history proves that the amount of capital held against those equity investments is a little high right now. And so the NEIC is working uh, on that proposal, and they hope to complete it by year end. On the negative, um, there will certainly be more scrutiny on, on uh, life insurance company and, quite frankly, everyone's commercial real estate uh, 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 portfolios to see what, what sort of uh, stress there could be. Uh, for banks, um, in, in light of Biden's call for diversity, equity, inclusion, there's certainly a re-reviewing the Community Reinvestment Act as well as disparate impact or international regulators for cues on what capital may look like Typically, when progressives or Democrats are in office, they look to international regulators for capital setting standards as they did in the great financial crisis. So if I'm a bank, I'm looking there. In CMBS, um, you know, I think what I would be on guard for is the SEC, and, and in two ways. One, um, Mr. Gensler, who's likely to be appointed there, um, has called for increased disclosures. And that could take two forms. One, let's not forget that when Reg AB2 was finalized, it had some outstanding questions such as, you know, should the disclosures that are required for public offerings also be required in private placements? That could be something the SEC looks at again. Uh, two, um, let's not forget that the Texas professor that, that had some questions on had some questions on uh, the valuations in CMBS that I think we all uh, agree were misinformed, you know, that could still be out there for the SEC to take a look at. And then three, uh, let's not forget that our old friend, the Franken Amendment, is still out there, and there could be a look at the, uh, at, at the issuer pays model. And the reason I think that's a possibility is the SEC has a fixed income advisory committee, and last year they talked about the credit rating agency model no less than three times. Uh, and then for non-banks, if you are a non-bank, you know, where I would be concerned is there's been increased talk at the FSOC about, re about increased regulation at non-banks. Um, so we could see more of a shift for non-banks towards a banking regulatory model. So in CRE, you know, it's not all bad. Um, on the affordable housing front, that's the positive. We could see quite a bit of funding at, the, at, at HUD for Section 8 housing and affordable housing, and we could see increased uh, affordability goals at the GSEs, as well as the potential for green bonds to come back. Um, so there's positives and negatives here, um, but per asset class, I think those, or per lending sources, I think those are the top, the things that are top of mind here at MBA.
non-bank regulations, our, our ears kind of perked up because um, yeah. what is the status of that and what what kind of regulation could we see being rolled out that could affect our non-bank lenders? That's one thing that Anne-Marie and I, I focus on is, you know, we originate loans, buy, sell, sure. securitize, warehouse, yep. debt for uh, non-bank debt lenders where, you know, debt funds, um, real estate-focused private equity groups. We, we'd love to hear more. Oh, absolutely. I would break that into into two sections. I would say for those non-bank lenders that are focused on the GSEs, Dr. Calabria, the current head of the FHFA, has had a, a proposed rule on servicer liquidity, and as a member of the Financial Stability Oversight Council, has said that non-bank servicers should should likely be reviewed for for potentially more regulation. And I think his thinking there, not ours, but his thinking, is that, you know, did if you are a seller servicer at Fannie Mae, for example, and you take a loan, you sell it, um, and you you own the servicing rights, you know, in a crisis like this, would you have enough liquidity if Fannie and Freddie were to provide forbearance or in order to support those loans. Obviously, we think they did just fine, but I think that question's been on Dr. Calabria's mind. And then generically speaking on non-banks, it's worth taking a look at some of the FSOC studies and the minutes over the last two years where Steve Mnuchin, former Secretary of Treasury, uh, and, and, and Dr. Calabria have been pushing for, for more regulation. And I think the thought is, well, if we regulate the banks, why would we not regulate the non-banks? And when you think about the FSOC, think about that as systemically significant. So in order for the FSOC to impose regulation or, or ask for the bodies that comprise the FSOC to impose regulation, they have to see it as systemically significant. Um, so I think there will be some questions in the mutual fund industry, I think there'll be some questions as to whether non-banks should have more regulation, especially if they're doing what, uh, if they're lending in substantially the same way as banks, uh, and that could be regulatory, that could be structural. And then if you are a GSE lender, there's some questions around service or liquidity. Now, understanding that we are, tra- we are transitioning to a new administration, so that brings in new philosophy, but I think the question on non-bank regulation has been out there for a bit. And so we, got, we need to start thinking about what does that mean. And so to your question, I think it means non-banks that lend to GSEs, and, and we should be looking at the GSE regulations, and non-banks that are either portfolio lenders or REITs, and we should be looking at what the FSOC has said over the last four years to glean some insights as to what they may be thinking going forward. All right, changing gears a little bit. We've been talking about with some of your colleagues at MBA since before you uh, even started, I think. We were doing some events uh, in person up in New York before COVID started, and the goal of those events was to partner with the MBA and and several other service providers in the commercial real estate finance industry to bring good content to, you know, New York City. We had events in Atlanta. Florida. We were even targeting possibly doing something out on the West Coast. Um, one specific subject and topic that we had on our minds and we were talking about with your with your colleagues about doing and, and focusing on it at one of our events was, you know, 
getting ready for the next recession and what could we put a panel together of lenders and developers and you know banks and non-banks to talk about the lessons that they learned during the last downturn or the last two or three downturns and how we could help the listeners and the uh, people attending our little mini conference, how could we help them learn uh, what all of you learned during the last, you know, one or two or three recessions or downturns? And how can you draw a parallel between what is going on now with, you know, the pandemic, because our our landscape has changed significantly over the past year. We haven't had any, you know, in-person events. So what lessons has Mike Flood learned from previous downturns or or changes in the economic climate and what are we seeing similar now and and how can how can some of our listeners apply some of the lessons you learned to uh, benefit and and help make it through what's going on yeah that's a great question I'll take it from my lens here in DC and I think it's twofold you know lesson learned from the great financial crisis is perception is reality whether we want it to be or not. And what I mean by that is there were some, um, I think we all know why the great financial crisis happened, and the perception was that it it meant that all securitization was awful and bad. Um, And so that perception became reality. Uh, And so the perception... And then they changed... They changed the name of CDOs to CLOs, right? They, that's, that's, that's the way they fixed it. But, but to your point, um, the lesson learned was that we do have, A, when you make an improvement, communicate it. And when, you, when you've made a change, uh, constantly communicate it. So in this crisis, um, what, what I think we've learned is that uh, not only do you have to stand up for the industry, but you have to be... Uh, you have to start at the basics of why the industry is beneficial and what it produces and why structures are the way they are and why they would be good in the future. Um, I think another thing that's important to remember, the the lesson learned, is that whether we like it or not, there is still animosity towards Wall Street. And while we are all what I like to call little old commercial lenders, um, we are still perceived as Wall Street. So we have to distinguish and we have to teach people that what commercial does is it allows people to go to work, it puts a roof over your head, and it allows you to have entertainment uh, and it provides jobs. And when we talk in that format, then that's a positive for commercial. If we talk about loan structure, if we talk about uh, who makes loans, that's not the best way to talk about the, pro- the, the product. Um, so, so the lessons learned, I would say, are are to make sure that we are constantly communicating, A, with each other, that when we improve our products, that we are communicating here in D.C., even in the good times, so that when we get to the second crisis like we have here, we've already created inroads. I think we're, we're, we're having positive results on the housing side of the commercial ledger, but we still have work to do on the, the non-housing the non uh, housing side, or the, the, in this specific case, the retail and hospitality. So, so uh, it's a long-winded way of saying uh, the, the lesson that we've all learned in our, com- our careers, communication is key to everything. And it's not just 
communicating with each other, but it's communicating what we do in plain English, simple terms. Um, you know, where we are at the moment, and, and it's a virtual world. And so, um, you know, I know a lot of folks have switched to, you know, Zoom and, and WebEx and Microsoft Office and things like that in terms of, you know, their communication platforms now as opposed to the in-person. Um, you know, what other tools or, or tips yeah. or, um, you know, methods are you using um, that you find are most effective for communication? For as much as, uh, as, we, as, as sometimes I think we abhor it, um, honestly, a Friday Zoom call just with my team, not about work, pays huge dividends. We see each other, we hear each other, and we hear each other's emotion. Uh, and I think that really helps keep us connected. And from a macro level, what I find, what I found eye-opening and really a benefit in MBA is the fact that we have state and local chapters. Um, and the fact that we have a state MBA, a, a California MBA, and what's, what that has allowed us to do is combine efforts to create local networks. Now, sometimes, of course, in this environment, there's Zoom, um, but it allows local brokers and local lenders in their region to talk with one another and really create the local network you want. Um, so the lesson learned for us was, hey, um, while we all want to have a national presence, we also want our regional presence for our, for our local lending, and that's where we really make the hay. Um, so we are doing a lot more teaming up on webinars and, uh, with, with our state and local chapters to create those local networks. And I think that is starting to pay dividends, not necessarily for us financially, that's, that's not what we're looking for, but for our members as far as making connections that are meaningful towards the future of their business. So it's a long-winded way of saying, I'm not asking you to pay more dues, but check out your local chapter because that's a great way to make networks or work through MBA and, and, and we're combining our efforts to do the same. All right, Emory, that was a great interview with Mike Flood. I think he had some great insight to add on kind of the way that MBA is now operating in a virtual environment you know, some of his key takeaways from previous economic downturns and how he's uh, applying that to make it through, you know, the current pandemic. And what really interested me was some of the potential non-bank legislation that Mike was talking about. So we're going to do some more digging on that and maybe explore that in a future, future podcast. But a uh, great interview with him. And thank you. Thank you for coordinating that. Well, thanks, Bo. Thank you for coordinating as well. <laughs> Teamwork is the dream work. Um, yes, I really enjoyed talking with Mike. He's, uh, he has high energy. He, you can tell he's very excited about his new role with the MBA. He is on top of, of every aspect uh, of, you know, the new role that he has in his responsibility areas. Um, you know, he really summarized uh, well, I thought, um, you know, how this new administration is, um, is approaching, you know, the four topic areas that he outlined, um, the importance of, you know, especially for us, the importance of passing, you know, a new stimulus bill, um, because, you know, as we talked about, we have a long way to go still, I think, for, 
you know, some of our asset classes to recover. And I look forward to another opportunity where we can um, talk to Mike because I think he has a lot to uh, a lot to share and a lot of good things, uh, you know, uh, in the works that um, will benefit everybody in our industry going forward. So what is keeping you busy, Anne-Marie? I've got several deals going right now. Um, you know, we talked about on the last show some of the loan acquisition work and some of the warehouse finance work that we're working on. Uh, you've got a, a a new deal for a a, a borrower slash you know developer client that's also it's a it's a loan and a and note on note. A note on note. Yeah. What's what's going on I, with that? You know, Is that closing tomorrow? Did you think? Yes, I actually have three closing tomorrow, so you know we I can't play anymore today. Well, at least you're not too but, busy, right? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so we have a note on note. Uh, it, you know, we're, we're finding people that, you know, are are getting involved in, in, you know, various transactions and being resourceful and finding their funding sources so that, you know, they can then in turn participate, you know, in a transaction, whether there is a lender, preferred equity, you know, partner or, um, you know, otherwise, I guess. Um, there are... Um, Lots of moving parts right now in bridge financing, um, lots of activity with bridge loans, you know, loans generally from two to three years that I'm seeing, a couple of extensions options out there for them. But the bridge, the bridge lending activity seems to be hot right now, at least for me. Um, and your note-on-note deal is a non-bank lender. Is Who's their finance? They're, they're essentially like a warehouse financer or their lender to no, them? Is it they have a, a bank? They have a bank lender uh, who is doing the note-on-note note for them. So they do one-off deals um, with their bank lender to provide some fund, you know, funding that they then in turn use to go ahead and make, and and what, make loans to their What kind of loans. asset is... This is actually a retail center, which, um, which is surprising uh, for me, at least, because I've seen primarily multifamily um, in, the, in the last you know, batch of deals that I've been doing. So it's nice to see that there's still some the movement in the multi, uh, sorry, in the retail uh, asset class. Grocery anchored? No, retail? it's actually a gym anchored tenant. And, um, and, you know, they seem to be hanging in there even throughout, you know, all of the COVID uh, concerns and closures. And What's whatnot. it like juggling? Because are you doing a table funding in this deal? Is the, the your, your money Simultaneous, forward? simultaneous closing. Okay. So, um, so we've got the money coming in, being held in title, and then um, you know, once we confirm that's there, everybody signs off on that piece of it. Then we'll go ahead and fund the other, the other portion of it. So, quite the juggling act, trying to get it all to come together at the same time. Oh, it has been. So, um, and you know, you try and do it so that you know the the mortgage borrower isn't aware that you're you know getting financing elsewhere. So. Um, we're keeping all of that separate because it's, you know, really not their concern as long as we know the financing is coming. So, um, you know, it's been approved, everything's signed up. So on, on the note on note side, um, and so we're comfortable, you know, committing to moving on the mortgage loan. So, but it is a juggling act. So, you know, different set of loan documents I had to quickly get up to speed with and, uh, and, tinker with and get them to work for both sides of the deal on top of, you know, regular, regular bridge loan that I've got closing um, for, for debt fund clients. How about you? Staying busy and just trying to continue operating in a, uh, a virtual environment. And that, that 
is a learning process, but we're all going through it together. So we'll look forward to talking with everybody next month on the next episode of Stacked Up. Have a great month.